Hey, this is Joe, and welcome to season two of the Jesus Talks podcast. I am so happy to have you here listening. We are walking through a four-week series called What I Wish I Had Known, a relationship series. I am, again, so glad to have you listening. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through this and that you can leave this series four weeks from now different than you came. Enjoy this episode. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, y'all. What's up? If you didn't notice, we have new music. I figured, because it's season two, I need to throw a little tune in there to represent change. Yes, eight episodes, season one. It was awesome. It was very scattered, but it was awesome. I always had the plan of season one being kind of like a let's hop around from topic to topic with no general thematic pattern. Let's kind of just hit on some whatever the Lord is speaking, which is awesome. But season two is going to be a little more structured. And as you heard in the intro, we're starting a four-week series called What I Wish I Had Known, a relationship series. Now, this series, these four weeks, they mean so much to me. It's a series that I have been preparing for, honestly, for a couple years. These are sermons that have been turned into podcast episodes, but there, there's some writing that I've been mulling over and structuring and formulating for a better part of my faith journey. Um, this is always a series I wanted to do, so I'm so glad to be able to see it come to life. Now, first up, I wanted to say what's up to everyone. This is your first time. I'm so glad to have you listening. Whether you're in your car going on a road trip or you're in a coffee shop and you got your your AirPods in, I'm glad to have your ears on this. Even if it's just for a couple minutes, I know the Lord is going to do what he wants with this. And I pray that, like I kind of said in the intro, the Lord can convict you, speak into you, can bring you knowledge, wisdom, Whatever he wants to do, I know that he will do it to see glory brought to his name. And I'm just excited to be a small little part of that. But hey, I'm Joe. For the new people, I, just to give you, I guess it's the intro to a new season, I'll give you a little intro to who I am. I am a 20-year-old. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a theology, pastoral ministry, double major in college, as well as a young person working in ministry. And the Lord has been so gracious in giving me a little bit of a platform to be able to do things like a podcast and a blog. And I started out having the Jesus Talks blog which I've been writing in for a couple years now, and over time it's turned into a podcast, and that's what this is. So I'm so glad to have you listening. 
whether you and God just became homies an hour ago or you've known him your entire life, I know that there will be application for you in some way, shape, or form. Now, I want to give you a little bit of an explanation of what this series is going to be because it's definitely going to be focused upon a few certain things. Actually, I have a series verse that I want to give to you guys, and it's from 1 John 4. It's verses 7 and 8 of 1 John 4. John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. As I'm tackling what I wish I had known, a relationship series, I wanted to just circle around the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for him in return for what he has done for us, for who he is. And what I wish I had known is titled this because these are some of the things relationally that I missed as I was growing up and as a Christian in my faith walk, things that I had to learn the hard way that I wish I didn't learn from making the mistake. I wish I didn't learn from doing the opposite. Things that I wish I could have, you know, maybe have been taught by a mentor or heard on a podcast. So my goal in this is Hopefully, this can help some people, and this can save some people from falling into some pretty some pretty crazy stuff. And obviously, you guys are here for part one, and it's called a relationship series because this is going to fall all around relationship, relationship with others, relationship with God, whether it's romantic relationship or friendships. It's going to sit all around the natural communion that we are to have with others because we are born into relationship. Whether you like it or not, we are born as codependent beings, meaning that we need God. We can't do this life on our own. We can't do the Christian walk. We can't uphold the Christian faith on our own. We need the Lord. We are dependent upon him, upon his grace, his mercy, his love to sustain us. But then we are also dependent upon having others in our lives because we weren't meant to do this alone. Again, that's what Adam needed Eve, just like every other person needs other people around us. If we look in scripture, we see that they're there to sharpen us. They're there to mutually encourage us. They're there to be someone who can be born to walk through adversity with you. All these purposes of being with people. And today we're just going to scratch the surface of that. But today's topic is staying pure. Staying pure. Now, I chose this as part one of the four-part series because this is something that overarchingly I believe is going to just radically shift the way that you handle any kind of relationship in your life. 
whether it be friendship or romantic relationship. I think if you can figure out and understand the purity that we are called into as followers of Christ and the character and morals that we are to uphold that represent this, like I said, it's, it's going to radically shift a lot in you. And I'm excited for that. So I want to dive into it. I'll pray for us and then we'll get started. Unless you're in a car driving, bow your head. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for your presence and, and its tangibility. We pray that you just, you move, you speak, you work how you want to. And we are merely just vessels, conduits, receivers of your glory, of your just your provision and, and your grace, all of these things we don't deserve, but you give us freely. You love us and you love to teach us. So I pray that you do exactly that, Lord. Amen. All right. So I think it's only right in the most pastoral way possible that we bring definition to purity before we even get started in talking about this topic of, of staying pure. Now, the cool thing about purity is I know that so many of you probably already have preconceived notions and preconceived definitions of purity from what you've heard in the church, because it's not a word that we don't use it. It's definitely a word that we use often, whether you've heard of purity culture or of impurity. You've definitely heard something. So I'm going to bring you two definitions. They are both from Webster's Merriam Dictionary, but the first one is a definition in science, and the second one is a definition in faith. So purity, scientifically, is freedom from contamination. Freedom from contamination. And then our second definition, our faith-based definition, is freedom from immorality. Now they go hand in hand. Now when you study old French, purity comes into this root word of purette, and it means simple truth. We're going to revisit that, I promise, but I just wanted that to sit with you. But I wanted to sit with this first definition, freedom from contamination, because to me, that this makes a lot of sense, because with purity, I think of I think of purifying something. I think of when something is pure, it is clean, it is holy, it is right, it is just, and it's free to walk into their definition. So obviously we see that the opposite of that is for that purity to be contaminated. Now I was reading about contamination in science and when you read about contamination in science, it says that what contamination is scientifically is it's the presence of particles, chemicals, and other undesirable substances in a clean room environment. So to put that into perspective, we have a clean, holy, pure environment and contamination is when there is a presence of whether it be particles, chemicals, any kind of undesirable, unwanted, evil, wrong, impure substance is entering into that clean environment and it, it contaminates it. 
So from clean to unclean. Now, you're going to be confused why we dive into contamination so much, but there's purpose in this. So I want you to stay focused for at least a couple minutes. I, I implore that you give me that. So when you're reading about contamination in terms of food processing, now food processing, obviously, as we know, is how the food goes from the animals to our supermarkets. Um, I'm sorry if you're if you're a vegan or a vegetarian and you don't want to hear about it. Close your ears for a second. But in the food processing process, when they're taking these animals and they are going from being the form that they are into the way they look and the way they are prepared to be on a shelf in a market, they are basically placed on these different surfaces and they're prepared and they're decontaminated and they're purified and washed, clean, cut, whatever it may be. Now, how contamination happens in the food processing in that system is germs aren't specifically contaminating each and every animal, each and every food item. The particles, the chemicals, those undesirable substances, they aren't specifically contaminating each animal. What they do is they contaminate the surface that the animals are being placed on. So instead of individually contaminating one thing, they are living amongst a surface that all of the things fall upon. And this, this convicted me because isn't that exactly what the devil does? He doesn't always individually contaminate each and every one of us specifically, but he contaminates the surfaces in our lives that we all fall over. You're probably still thinking of a food processing service, but, but what if that surface is social media? What if that surface is pornography? Or what if that surface something is as general and profoundly serious as pride? Here's the thing we have to understand about the devil, and I'll provide plenty of explanation for this, but the devil is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. And what that means is God has this unique ability to be omniscient. He can be everywhere at once. He can be living individually in each and every moment with us with a complete and whole understanding of time in a way to where he doesn't miss a moment. But the devil isn't that way. So what the devil does is he contaminates surfaces. I've seen. And I can give you plenty of examples of the devil's lack of omniscience so we can wrap our heads around how and why the devil does what he does. So in, in 2 Corinthians 4, we see Paul continuing his second epistle to the church in Corinth. And he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So what we're seeing here is that Satan, he couldn't kill us. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't take us away, but what he could do is he could blind us. 
if he if he blinded all of us, if he changed the way that we that we saw things, the way that we process things, he might just try to win. But no, obviously we have an omniscient, holy, powerful God who came in and returned sight to us. I see something similar to this in Job, right? The devil has to ask permission to even do anything to Job. And even when he does, the Lord has the full power to keep Job alive. And then in John 12, obviously Satan is called the ruler of all of earth but earth isn't everything earth is earth god is is the ruler of the universe god is the ruler of the galaxies god is the ruler of all so even when satan is placed in this ruler position not by god's choice of course he's still not seen as this overarching power satan has limitations and his limitation is a lack of omniscience so let's create this Let's create this this side-by-side -side picture, right? God is omniscient. Satan is not. God has, has won the victory. God has promised us that victory. Satan has not. So Satan cannot defeat us, but Satan can contaminate us, right? And I want to dive a little more into what that specifically looks like. So... We're talking about purity we're talking about contamination the opposite of contamination obviously would be to purify something so when we're removing contaminants from something we're, we're purifying it so the same way that we can take something pure and contaminate it we can take something contaminated and we, we can purify it so in this battle of satan versus the lord it's contamination versus purification and what i want to bring to you is Again, this idea that nothing is physically changing about the substance, about what is being contaminated or purifying. It's, it's the same substance. It's the same entity. It's just a different lens. It's like we saw what the devil did with our sight. He didn't change the way that something was. He changed the way that we looked at it. So it was the same thing, but we were seeing it a new way so it's almost like it's the same gift that the lord has laid in front of us but it's a different lens upon how we look at it and i know that was a huge huge build up but now we're going to turn this towards relationship because i think the lord has blessed us heavily in regards to this he didn't just create us. That being enough in its own, he said, I'm going to create you to be relational beings. I'm going to create you to live and walk on an earth with others, with like-minded individuals, with people that you'll be able to find relationship, whether it be romantic or, or friendly. You'll be able to find a wife, a husband. You'll be able to find a covenant to get married, to become one in flesh, to have sex like all of these incredible things the lord has given to us and i think where i see contamination in that is like we like we already previously discussed and that's why i wanted to hit on it the devil cannot he cannot take marriage away from us he cannot take sex 
which is a gift that God has created for us. You can't take that away from us. You can't take romantic relationship. You can't take covenant, all these things that the Lord has given us. You can't take them away, but he can contaminate them. Or instead of contaminating them, he can contaminate how we see them. Because if the devil can get us to look upon something good from a lens that isn't of God, he can win without ever actually doing anything to the substance itself. That's how Satan wins. And I just want to be so clear in understanding what this pursuit of of purity needs to be and needs to look like. Because for us as Christians, we are pursuing purity so that we can see everything that God has placed in front of us from a holy and God-honoring and glorifying lens, not from a worldly lens. I, I think that Satan really wants to change our perspective on how we view things because that's how he can win. So... What you need to grab from that, of course, just to track back, is that the devil can't take covenant away. You can't take the consummation of, of sexual acts inside of marriage. All of these great things the Lord has given us, he can't take them away, but he can contaminate your view of them. And the thing about contamination is if you are externally contaminated, you can contaminate others, right? As I continue to study contamination, I know you're going to get tired of me saying that word, I learned that one of the biggest ways things are contaminated is by being in contact or touch with something that is already contaminated because it spreads by touch. It spreads by touch, and that sounds so familiar to me. Because I think we do that too. I think when the devil takes something pure, like let's say... The, the act of, of sex inside of a marriage, right? It's a beautiful thing. God has given it to us. God has blessed us with it. He said, it is such a perfect, holy act that I want you to do inside of a marriage with someone you love. I want it to be a way you glorify me. And God has that thing, right? It, it, it's there. And if the devil can contaminate our view of it, right? If he can get us to look upon this holy, beautiful act as something that is pointless or that is lustful and not loving, or if he, we look at it as something that isn't that important and we start and begin to do it outside of the context that God created us to do it in, the devil has contaminated it, but he has also contaminated our view of it. By contaminating us, our minds, our thinking, and in turn, when we begin to view something the way that the devil wants us to view it and not the way that God wants us to view it, we now bring that contamination unto others. If the devil ruins my view of romantic relationship, if he lets me begin to see, or if he leads me into beginning to see women as as objects or just as people that I'm there to be strictly physical with, now as I bring that energy, as I bring that thought process, as I bring that action into a relationship, I am now contaminating the other person in that relationship and I am impurifying them as well. And that's how it spreads. And the devil is using these surfaces like Instagram, like TikTok, like 
to be real, like Pornhub, like all of these websites to just push this envelope that the thing to do is to be impure. The thing to do is to take all these beautiful, wonderful, holy things that God has given us and to create them into something they're not. So a big step in purity is taking a step away from the world and refocusing yourself on the original meaning of why the Lord has and why the Lord does and who the Lord is. I think we will learn super fast that God has placed specific purpose upon each and everything that he has given to us and placed in front of us. And he wants us to see that purpose. But my, my biggest worry and the reason I chose to talk about purity first is that the devil hasn't purified our view of so many wonderful and beautiful things. So now we're wondering why we can't feel the presence of God. We're wondering why there's some people that are just living in complete joy of the things the Lord has placed in front of them while the Lord has placed things in front of us, but we're not joyful. I wouldn't say it's because it's something different than what he's given somebody else. I would say it's because their view of it is different because our view has been contaminated and theirs never was. And it's situational, of course, but there's some consistent and common themes. I wanted to look to First Thessalonians just to give a brief overview on what we are talking about when it comes to the act of impurity that was coming through sexual interaction. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. This is verse 3. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. He says this word that we should be sanctified. And I think sanctified and sanctification, the process of sanctification, which to give you a small definition is the act of pursuing holiness. It's something that we should be doing our entire walk with God. I believe that sanctification and purity go hand in hand because a way that we can purify the way that we look upon things is by just continuing to pursue sanctification, continuing to pursue holiness in each and everything we say, in each and everything that we do. And I love how the first precursor for being sanctified is that you should avoid sexual immorality. And now I'm not saying purity and impurity just fall inside of sexual immorality and sexual relationship. This is the big vehicle that is being used to drive the agenda of impurity. Avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body. I think another act of purifying yourself and remaining pure is learning how to control yourself. Again, because the devil wants to come in and he wants to control the way in which we view things. He wants to bring definition to godly things. He says there are godly acts, there are godly covenants, there are all of these things that I want to put definition to in your life. So they aren't what they are, that's how you're going to see them. And if I can control your view of them, if I can control your definition of them, I can control you. So the best way we're fighting against that is that we are avoiding immorality we're learning how to control our own selves in a way that is holy and honorable 
And then we are pursuing sanctification. We are pursuing the act of purifying ourselves. We do this because it's honoring to God. It's glorifying to God. The idea of, of sexual immorality has always hurt me deeply because like I already said a couple times, the Lord was gracious enough to not just save us, but to create things for us that he knows are going to bring us joy, but are also going to glorify him. And it, and it breaks me to realize that he has created beautiful things like relationship and covenant and, and sex, and they've all been ruined and dampened and just tainted because that's not what he wanted from them. That's not what he wanted for them. So again, to revisit, if the devil, number one, if the devil can get you to impurify what God calls holy, he wins. And then if God can get you to remain pure and honor what he has said is holy, God wins. I'll say that again. If the devil can get you to impurify what God calls holy, or if he can impurify it for you, he wins. But if God can get you to remain pure, remain pure and honor what he has said is holy and true, he wins. I think it's easy when you take a step back and you introspect. We have lust and immorality. These things are internal. They are selfish. When I'm lusting, when I am in a state of impurity and I am pursuing things of the world, all of these things are so selfish. They all lead back to trying to bring myself pleasure, trying to do things for myself. But then when I look upon purity and abstinence and abstinence and honor, they're all external. They're all selfless. It's not just working in my life, but it's working in the lives of others around me. It's it's helping people grow. It's it's building again this relational equity amongst believers. Because I believe that the devil wants to separate us from everyone else. He wants to isolate us by getting us to become selfish beings. When we're of the world, we're only thinking of ourselves. And when we're of God, we're thinking of others. So if he can create that distinction and he can drive us away from community, he can isolate us and begin to impurify us so that when we go back into the world, we're going back into the world now and we're contaminating others. We're going to take a brief break and we're going to be right back. Yeah, you heard the ad. Get yourself anchor. It's baller. It rocks. It's just changed the the podcasting game, per se. But, so we can dive right back into what we were talking about. On the topic of purity and impurity, we were dealing with the distinction between internal and external, selfish and selfless purity and impurity like we're saying impurity and contamination all these things the devil is doing to us they are going to lead us to be internal they're going to lead us to try to seek out things that are going to only benefit us whereas as we are living this pure holy sanctified god-honoring life it's going to be external and it's going to benefit others because christianity and, and following christ is such a open relational thing Christianity is relationship. I had a youth pastor that said that. And I wanted to look to Romans 14. This is verses 13 and 14. 
inside of Romans 14. Let us behave decently as in, oh, precursor to this. Sorry, my mind was a little scattered. Precursor to this. Romans obviously is, is Paul's letter to the church in Rome, his epistle to them. And a good one at that. And I pray that you guys go back and write all these down so you can study them. That's what I wanted to say. But yes, Romans 14, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. This verse, this verse, set of verses, is so important in what we're talking about. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. Paul's saying make up your mind not to contaminate others. It is part of our walk as Christians, not just to remain clean and pure of sin, but to make sure that we don't lead others into sin. Make sure that we're not spreading the sin in our life unto others, making sure that we're not being around or contaminating people who are newer in their faith. There's all of these thoughts that come with that, but verse 14 specifically, I love and I want to read again. I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. That goes back to what we were talking about before. None of the things we're looking upon are actually unclean in themselves. None of them are actually changed. It's just a lens. We're seeing it from a lens of impurity. We're seeing it from a lens of selfishness. The devil wants to continue to do that. And if he can have you look at it that way, you can, get, can begin to lead others to look at it that way. And he has won. And we absolutely don't want that. So... It's been a lot of talking. I think what we have kind of seen in this first two thirds section is pretty general. We have purity, which we want to pursue. And it's the act of, of being clean, holy, pursuing sanctification. And then we have impurity, which is something the devil is trying to bring into our life. He's trying to contaminate our faith in a way of getting us to be selfish, in a way of getting us to be internal, in a way of getting us to chase after self-seeking things, to be of the world, and to ultimately to use us to contaminate others. And he wants to ruin everything that God has said is good. He wants to take our view of it and twist it around so that we can see it in a way that's not honoring to God. So that is what we've seen. Now, the question comes to, how do we handle that? How do we live in a way that prevents ourselves from being impurified, but also prevents us from living a life that is going to lead others into impurification? 
a lot of facets of it. And something, a verse I want to read to you in Titus. It's one singular verse that's going to kind of headline this section is Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Again, it says, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Now, when you study the word blameless, this called Titus as a follower of Christ, as a leader, he is called to live above reproach. Now, what living above reproach looks like is when you are living a pure and holy life, you want to make sure that the life that you are living is obviously is honoring to God but is also a life that is not going to lead others to stumble. I'll give you an example. Obviously, you guys know that I interned at Elevation Church for a while, and this was one of our core values, was to live above reproach. And why we established this was we didn't just want leaders and followers in our church to follow Jesus. We wanted them to live in a way that was beyond any shadow of the doubt that they were a follower of Christ that never placed them in a place of, in a, that never put them in a place of where we were doubting that, where they were in situations that didn't appear to be Christ following. We wanted them to live above the line that that is reproach. And I think the way that I best look at this is a lot of Christians just live a life of as a Christian, all I have to do is just not sin, and I'm good. Living above reproach is saying it's not just an act of me not sinning, but it's me caring deeply about the livelihood and the hearts of all the other followers of Christ around me. So it's me living in a way that is going to honor others, help in their sanctification, and keep them from being impurified, keep them from stumbling. Because our purity isn't just for us. That's a note for you. Our purity is first for God. And it's for others, other followers. And it's also for the unsaved. And we're going to dive into each of those separately. So first, our purity isn't just for us, it's for God. Obviously, when the Lord sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us to bear the punishment that we deserve for his blood to be atonement for our sin he did that because he loves us and we are to live a life in response to that we are to live a life that is completely glorifying to god that is completely honoring a posture that says lord i recognize what you have done for me and i want to live the rest of my life glorifying you and giving back the glory for that so our purity isn't just for us it's for god because god calls us to be pure god calls us to live above reproach god calls us to pursue sanctification first all of these things that i'm, I'm asking of you guys to, to think about to do are things the lord has called us to do because if we love him we will be obedient to his command jesus preaches 
in the Gospel of John, this idea of abiding in his word. It's living in it. It's living in response to it. So this pursuit of, of purity, this pursuit of the removal of contamination in our lives and this decision to start living pure, it's for God. It's to bring the glory to him. And coincidentally, second, it's for other followers. Because again, like we said right at the beginning, we're, we're built to live in a relationship and codependence. We're built to live with others in communion and we are there to mutually encourage other followers, to sharpen other followers. And let me implore that your purity can be something that sharpens other believers. The way that you live above reproach, the way that you pursue sanctification, the life that of holiness that you are trying to uphold, that can be a light for someone else. That can be a beacon for someone else. That can be a teacher for something else, for somebody else in their faith. And then lastly, it's for the unsaved. Again, to go back to the Gospel of John, at Passover, in Jesus' final hours, he's praying this prayer to the Lord. And in his prayer to the Lord, it's one of the most famous prayers in all of the Bible. He tells God, he says, I pray that the world, the unsaved world, is what he's implying. I pray that they will come to know us by the way that we love each other, by the way that we follow God. So our purity, our pursuit of sanctification, our holiness, the way that we live as Christians, as followers, that is how we are supposed to be separated and seen as set apart from the world. People should look at us, see the way that we live, and that should be what shows them those are followers of Christ. I think one of the biggest things I struggle with in high school as I was like coming to follow Jesus but I wasn't really doing it was that I wasn't doing this well I was calling myself a Christian but I was living a life that was similar to the way that everybody else lived so the non-Christians and the people who didn't know the Lord the unsaved my mission field was looking at me and they were like you're a Christian I'm not a Christian we do say and live the same life and the same things so why would i ever want to pursue jesus where's the difference i look at the way that you act and it's no different than the way i act where's the change now if i had been radically loving people if i had been pursuing truth if i had been living a pure life if i had been living a life above reproach if i had been doing all these things i was called to as a pure and holy child of god there would have been a noticeable difference they would have known me by the way I was following Christ, by the way I communicated and lived in community with others, there would have been a difference. So our purity isn't just for God. It isn't just for other followers of Christ, but it's for the unsaved. I think so many times we believe that our testimony solely belongs by word of mouth, but our our testimony lives inside of our actions just as much. I would argue that our actions carry just as much weight as our words do, if not more. The way that we live, the way that we carry ourselves as Christians, it should be something that is pure and holy, and it should be noticeable to others. Now, the distinction is we shouldn't be doing it to be noticed by others, but the set-apart nature in which we live should be noticeable to others. 
So on top of the question, how can I actively remain pure in a culture that is so contaminated and so impure? There's a few things. Number one would be to remain in God. We are called to remain in God, to remain in him, to abide in him, to be obedient to his word, no matter what we're walking through, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we are seeking, what is in front of us, what is being told to us, who is around us, we are to remain in God. He should be the first one that we come to in the morning and the last one that we sit with before bed. He should be the one that we are actively pursuing relationship with before anything else. Because every other relationship, every other interaction, every other communication we have in our life should come from an overflow of our relationship with God. He is feeding us and sending us out. So if I am constantly remaining in God, it is impossible for me to live a completely impure life because remaining in God means abiding in his commands and remaining in God means loving him. And when I love him, I want to abide. I want to be obedient. I want to be someone who lives in a way that is honorable and that is worthy of the nail scars of Christ. I'm never going to live a perfect life, but when I remain in God, he's going to stay close to me. He's going to bridge that gap. There's going to be an intimacy in our relationship that helps me to try to remain pure in a very impure world. Another way to remain actively pure is to seek fellowship with the mentors and with the mutual yoked believers. We can't do this alone. We've said this a couple times now. We can't do this alone. We need mentors and, and people older than us pouring into us and helping us grow. We also need mutual friends in our life that are going to encourage us, that are going to spur us forward, that are going to sharpen us. People who are going to hold us accountable and help us pursue this purity that God calls us to walk into. And we want, we need desperately to do the above three remaining in God, abiding in his commands and seeking fellowship before relationship, sexual relationship, all of those things ever becomes reality. Because purity as, as a whole topic, like we said, isn't just in regards to romantic relationship. But at the end here, as we as we focus in on its contingence upon romantic relationship, the importance of us being pure and being pursuing that purity as we enter into relationship, that's everything. Because again, if the devil can get us to be impure beings, if he can contaminate us before we get into relationship, then we're bringing our contamination into a relationship. And we remember that contamination spreads by touch. So we are going to be contaminating others. The devil is using us in a way that is negative. But it can have a reverse reaction because if the Lord can get a hold of us, if the Lord can purify us, if the Lord can make us holy, if he can teach us and grow us and use us, he can turn us into ambassadors. So when we get into romantic relationships, when we get into friendships, when we get into any kind of community, we are going to contaminate people, but not in the way we've been talking about before. We are going to purify them instead. We are going to bring his word forth. We are going to be vessels, conduits, ambassadors, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it. When we enter into romantic relationship or any other kind of relationship, pure and holy, 
living from an overflow of what God has done in our life, we are going to be used to change people. We are going to help people. We're going to mutually encourage. We're going to sharpen. We are going to grow. So my, my final precursor to you before, before we pray out is that we are called to live a life of purity. We are called as Christians to be set apart. We can't live as the world lives. The world is so impure. The world does things without thinking. The world calls you to be selfish. The world calls you to look away from God and look to your own needs first. And purity is the exact opposite. It's pursuing sanctification. It's being holy. It's thinking about the needs of others, making sure that you aren't just not stumbling yourself, but that others aren't stumbling as well. So know that as you begin to pursue purity in your life, it's going to be selfless. It's going to be hard at times, of course. We know this. We were never promised fields of gold. We were never promised easy. But the final two things are a restatement of what we said earlier. If the devil can get you to impurify what God calls his holy, he wins. But if God can get you to remain pure, abide in his commands, pursue sanctification, and honor what is holy, God wins. That is our goal. So walk in that truth today. Dear God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for how you love us. I thank you that you love us enough to give us commands and to want to be a part of our relationship and to use us and to seek to bring us peace. God, I pray that each and every person that entered this podcast, whether even for a minute or the entire time, they were touched, they were changed, they were convicted. You were reaching them exactly where they are in a unique, specific way, God. And I thank you for how you worked. Let us never box you in. Pray that in your name, God. Amen. Hey, I am so glad you listened to my episode. Thank you. I appreciate your support. I love you. Jesus loves you. I'm praying for you. If you need any specific prayer needs or anything else, you can always DM me at the Jesus Talks podcast on Instagram. Have a great day.